There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, August 17th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show, we'll be looking at the Rio ticketing scandal involving the Olympic Council of Ireland. We'll be asking why so many special purpose vehicles registered in Ireland pay so little tax and we'll be navigating the journey towards driverless cars. Joining me in studio are Cliff Taylor, business editor of the Irish Times, business correspondent Mark Paul and Michael McAleer, our motoring editor. Don't forget you can download the business podcast for free from iTunes and you can also find it on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. But we'll start with Rio. Earlier today, it emerged that OCI President Pat Hickey had been arrested in Brazil in what is the latest twist in an alleged ticket-touting scandal connected with the Irish sports body. This followed the arrest on the opening day of the Olympics of Irishman Kevin Mallon, who works for UK sports hospitality company THG Sports. Mallon had about 800 tickets for high-profile sports events as well as the opening ceremony, and he's accused of selling them for above face value. Questions have since been raised about the relationship between Pro10 Sports Management, the OCI's authorised ticket dealer, and THG Sports. And here to explain this web of intrigue is Mark Paul, who's been covering this story. Mark, uh, just bring us up to date on the latest from Brazil in terms of Pat Hickey. Well, the latest in, in, in terms of Pat Hickey is that he was arrested this morning um, at about 10 o'clock Irish time. Um, apparently, from the reports that we're receiving from Brazil, um, Brazilian poli- p- uh, police arrived at his hotel room door where they were met by his wife, um, who, according to these reports, said that Pat Hickey had left for Ireland. Um, he wasn't in the room. Um, but uh, apparently, uh, according to Brazilian media reports, he was then found in an adjoining room. Um, and there have been pictures and even videos of, 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 of his meeting, shall we say, his first meeting with the Brazilian police are already circulating online. Um, Pat Hickey then apparently told the Brazilian police that he felt quite unwell as, uh, whilst they were arresting him um, and he was taken to hospital as a precaution. Um, so Pat Hickey has now been arrested. Uh, Kevin Mallon, as you said, an employee of THG, he remains under arrest. Kevin Mallon has been charged uh, in relation to this. Pat Hickey um, um, has so far faced no but what charges. What has he been charged with? He has been charged with, uh, for, for want of a better phrase, ticket touting. Um, as you mentioned there in your introduction, um, um, the OCI has an authorised ticket seller, reseller, um, called Pro10 Sports Management. Um, and Pro10 is the only company that's authorised to sell tickets on behalf of the OCI. And tell us about 
about Pro10? Where are they based, and who's buying them? Pro10, uh, Pro10 is essentially is, is essentially it's a it's a football agency. Um, Pro10 is owned by two football agents and a mortgage broker. Um, um, Mick Lynn and Eamon Collins are the two football agents, and Ken Murray is a mortgage broker. And Eamon Collins is quite well known because he's uh, he's got quite a profile on uh, on various sports programs, and he's a well known he does football he, agent. He does. He, he he was a bit of a he's journeyman a League of Ireland footballer. Yeah, he, he was a, he was a bit of a journeyman pro around the lower leagues of England during the eighties and nineties, and then went into football management, managed St. Pass Athletic for a year uh, in two thousand three. 2004 and after that then he became a football agent um, he's got some quite high profile cl- clients Daryl Murphy um, Irish International is one of his clients um, Owen Doyle plays for Preston North End is one of his clients Connor Salmon another um, um, would be I suppose Irish International well, high profile now might be stretching in regards to that trail but anyway I <laughs> yeah. take your point yeah so he's uh, so he's he's one of the directors another one of the directors then is Mick Lynn a British guy um, um, uh, despite his name his Irish sounding name um, a British guy who, who now lives in Clane and County Kildare um, he's another football agent. He used to own another agency called Pro Soccer Ireland, um, which ceased trading in, in 2012. Um, it also did event management and sold sports. So this is effectively a, a footballing ticketing agency, which has become an authorised dealer for the OCI. Well, here's where the intrigue starts. It was never a ticketing agency at all. It was a, it was a football sports rep- players representative agency. Um, and uh, uh, the formal uh, uh, company was only registered uh, a couple of weeks, essentially, before the uh, OCI ticket contract was awarded last year. Um, so the intrigue really is how did a company like Pro10 Sports Management, which is involved in football and representing professional football players, get the exclusive ticketing contract um, um, for, the, for the Rio Olympics? Now, the contract for the London Olympics was previously held by a company called THG, the Hospitality Group, which is owned by um, Marcus Evans, a UK billionaire. Now, THG's uh, former chief executive James Sinton was arrested at the World Cup in Brazil two years ago um, for a, for over allegations of, uh, of of ticket touting. Um, so subsequent to that, it then didn't show up as the as the OCI's. Uh, 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 authorised reseller for Rio and Pro10 took its place. Now, we don't know the circumstances of Pro10 being awarded that contract. It appears to have been a closed tender. Nobody else was invited to bid for this contract. Um, none of the other companies that, were, that operate in this space um, were invited to bid. The tender doesn't appear to have been advertised. And we don't know on what criteria Pro10 was selected because this is a football players agency. They have no background in dealing with consumers. They have no background, it appears, in selling tickets. Now, well, what ma- did the contract give them the rights to do? The contract gave them the exclusive rights to sell from Ireland uh, tickets for uh, 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 tickets that that were part of the OCI's allocation um, for sports events and the opening and closing ceremonies and hospitality packages. And do we know how many tickets they got? Um, they received what we've been told by sources close to Pro Tennis that they only ever received about two thousand tickets. That's that's that that's what we have been told. Um, now we know that Kevin Mallon was arrested with um, um, upwards of eight hundred in his possession. Um, they won't clarify for us. Um, Pro Ten that is won't clarify for us how many of that eight hundred. Um, came via themselves um, um, and they won't clarify for us the relationship that they have with THG. This is another element of intrigue. Um, THG as... as, as but just before we get to that, uh, maybe just uh, delve into this Pro 10 bit a bit. So the, the couple of thousand tickets given to them by the OCI under a contract mm-hmm. um, and what means did they use to sell these uh, tickets, or who were they looking to sell them to? Where, where was their market? Their market was 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 any member of the public or any uh, any companies that wanted to buy tickets. And were they um, selling them via their website? They were selling them via, via their website, um, and they had a website uh, which was uh, Pro Ten Rio sixteen Rio. 
2016.com and on that website there was a telephone number and, and an email address and you either rang the number or you emailed if you were looking for tickets. Now um, that number uh, which is a Dublin number um, um, uh, it, it emerged this week at certain times of the day actually was redirected to THG um, which is not the authorised ticket seller um, and the answers that we've uh, that we've received from Poten in, in relation to that have been rather jumbled in the extreme on Monday night they told us they were puzzled as to why their number was redirected to THG and then yesterday when we probed them on a little further and in a little bit more of a detailed fashion um, we were told that um, outside of Irish office hours that they redirected their number to THG because THG has people on the ground in Brazil and, you know, it runs a 24-hour sort of a ticketing line. Um, and what Proten also told us, and this is really, uh, 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 this, this is really surprising, is that um, THG receives no payment from them for manning its phone lines at certain times of the day and THG receives no payment from them for, uh, for acting as a sort of a collection or, or distribution agent on the ground for Proten so customers. THG is effectively carrying out these functions on behalf of Proton for nothing. This is Proton's position, yes. Right. Um, is that plausible in your opinion? Um, well, I, I mean, it's it's certainly uh, unusual for, for companies in a very, very competitive space like sports, hospitality and ticketing um, to be doing each other favours for free. Now, these people would know each other, however. Um, THG is part of the Marcus Evans group. Marcus Evans owns Ipswich Football Club. Um, several of, of Pro 10's football clients are Ipswich or former Ipswich players. THG also was formerly a hospitality supplier to the Football Association of Ireland. These guys all would know, every, you know, the guys in Pro 10. John Delaney, of course, is a vice president of the yeah, and 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 Proton obviously because they have footballing backgrounds. All of these guys, they all mm. have footballing. Even the mortgage advisor has a footballing background. He's a former commercial director of St Pat's. Um, they would all know everyone. The FAI, so they would know THG. What would the way it was pitched to me um, by by representatives of Proton was that this was a big company looking after the interests of a smaller company. Um, um, but you know, we have yet to fully establish whether or not there are proper commercial right. links. Okay, and uh, let's just go back to Pat Hickey for a moment. Do we know on what charges he was arrested? On what basis um, he was arrested? But he, he, was, he was arrested as part of the investigation into allegations of ticket touting. He hasn't been charged with anything as of this moment. Right, OK. Cliff, um, the Olympic Council of Ireland uh, presumably receives funding from the state. And yet there's this web of intrigue around this major contract um, that it's given to this company called Pro10, yeah. which uh, it seems has never been involved in selling tickets before in his life. Yeah, it does receive funding from the state, uh, about 1.7 million euro over the last four years. Uh, in the last year of its accounts, 2015, about a third of its total income came from state funding. Uh, a lot of the money, obviously, it, it then passes on to to fund athletes' programs. Uh, you know, in in, in other organisations. Does it pay for salaries? Do we know? Or? Yes, so administrative. Exp- well, it it has a number of sources of income. So administrative expenses, obviously, is 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 a major part of its of of its cost base as an organisation. Um, Received around five hundred twenty thousand uh, from the state in, in in 2015 alone, so it it gets significant yeah. money and yet from Ch- the government. Shane Ross is out in Brazil mm. uh, at the moment. He's only gone out in the past couple of days, um, and he's been calling for uh, an independent. The OCI has said it's going to yeah. conduct an inquiry into how these tickets ended up with Kevin Mallon and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And uh, Shane Ross uh, called for an independent 
member to be appointed to this inquiry, but the OCI just seemed to snubble. Yeah, I think you know if the minister uh, hasn't hasn't played it particularly well so far. Uh, I, I think the government and, and, and the minister were, were slow to slow to react when when this broke initially and when the initial arrest was made in Brazil. And then, as you say, uh, their, their first reaction after that was, was to look uh, for an independent member <coughs> on the investigation committee. And uh, Pat Hickey just seemed to kind of swat them off and say, "We can't do that. Uh, we're, based not, on legal we're not going to do that based based on, based on legal advice." And of course, there was uh, a attorney general advice as well to the government, wasn't there? There was in terms of what kind of inquiry could be set up. I think we've seen uh, we've seen uh, in a number of cases in, in a number of controversies in, in in recent years in Ireland just how how legally difficult it is for the government to inquire into something you know when it, when it even mm-hmm. wants to establish the facts and I suppose but we're talking about a fairly simple chain of events here you know who owned the, well, the tickets I'd who owned the tickets uh, where do they come from. Uh, and who paid for them? You know, the, the questions are, fa- are are fairly straightforward. The OCI said it set up its own investigation, but it also said, uh, and this was before Patiki was arrested, uh, that no uh, publication of findings will be made until the legal process in Brazil had, sure. had come to an end. And who knows how long, long how, how long that will take? But obviously, Patiki's uh, arrest now, you know, moves moves it all on very significantly. But, but the government, I think, is, is left looking a bit wrong-footed on this one. Yeah, but why is it when a government uh, part funds an organisation or, yeah. or gives a substantial amount of taxpayers' money to an organisation over a four-year period and then a scandal uh, breaks up around yeah. uh, ticketing issues uh, w- with that organisation, why is it that the government can't insist on an independent member being appointed to the inquiry being run by the OCI? Well, I, I, obviously it should be able to. Uh, and obviously, you know, while the main questions surrounding this are going to face Proton, THG and the OCI itself, uh, there will also be questions about the degree of oversight that the government has had of the OCI and I suppose the freedom that Pat Hickey has been left to run that organisation. Uh, you know, what, what checks and balances the government has put in for the funding that that is put in place. Uh, so, of course, there should be uh, there should be a way for the government to, to, to demand a quick answer and to get it. But yeah. certainly the initial uh, the initial reaction from Pat Hickey was just to, you know, to swat them away and to, yeah. to put the minister down. Mark, um, the Olympic movement itself kind of sees itself as being bigger than politics, doesn't it? And, and the OCI's kind of parent uh, body, the UCI, um, tends not to welcome political interference in its affairs. So maybe that's uh, maybe maybe that's that's where Pat Hickey's coming from when when he said that essentially he w- he wasn't prepared to appoint an independent member. Well, to the well, well, there's also the issue of leverage and leverage in terms of of, of public opinion. Um, the, the OCI is not a state agency, it's not a state body. So in one sense, probably from a practical legal point of view, the government can't insist that it holds a particular type of inquiry. Now, it gives a certain amount of state funding, as Cliff has outlined. Um, so maybe it can insist uh, 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 in terms of its state funding. But... Um, well, it should be said. It should be said. It should be said. It should be said that they also give a lot of funding to the Sports Council of Ireland, which gets distributed to individual athletes and to national federations, which operate under the OCI banner at the Olympics every four years. But if the OCI still thumbs its nose up at the government and says, well, million, well, well, says, well, says we're still not giving you inquiry, what does the government to do? Withdraw all the funding for the athletes? How would that play out in the court of public opinion? How would that play out when it comes to Irish athletes achieving results? You'd be using Irish athletes as a pawn in the row. So I think the OCI knew it had leverage. Mm. Um, they can thumb their nose at the government and say, we're, you know, we're not going to have the type of inquiry you want um, bec- and because we know that you're not going to withdraw the funding.
Cliff, I mean, has the OCI's leverage effectively disappeared now that Patiki has been arrested? Well, we're going to have to see what happens, but I think, but I think, uh, I think it certainly is, is in very serious doubt now. Uh, you know, if you look at the main sources of income for the OCI, one is the government, uh, and you now have a situation where the head of the OCI is, you know, is, is being questioned in relation to a ticketing, mm. uh, a, a ticketing controversy. The, the second, one of its other major sources of income is uh, is marketing and sponsorship. And obviously, you know that's going to be in question now as well, given the question, given the whole uh, the whole questions that this raises about about the way the OCI is, has, mm. has been run. So, I think uh, very serious implications for the, for for the whole organisation uh, now. Uh, obviously, yeah. depending in detail on how this how this pans out. Mark, where does it go from here? And and do you think we're we're now given that Pat Hickey's been arrested that we now might get sort of a bit more. Uh, we might get some more answers from Pro10 or THG as to what exactly has gone on. Well, there are still outstanding arrest warrants for several people in relation to this. Um, David Gilmore, um, who, appear, who, who was another Irish man, he appears to be the in-house lawyer for the Marcus Evans group. There's an outstanding arrest warrant for him. There, there were other arrest warrants issued this morning for three more um, um, guys. Um, the, the three directors and shareholders actually of Pro10, Mick Lynn, Eamon Collins and Ken Murray. Um, now, none of these people that for whom arrest warrants have been issued are actually in Brazil, so the arrest warrants, in a sense, um, would only uh, come into play were they ever to set foot on Brazilian soil, and maybe maybe they will and maybe they won't. Um, we, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Pat Hickey. Just because Pat Hickey obviously has been arrested, he still has to be afforded due process and he hasn't been charged with anything. Yeah, and we should say we haven't heard from Pat Hickey yet. So uh, No, we haven't heard from Pat Hickey, although from the very outset, um, and in interviews with Orty, Pat Hickey denied any wrongdoing from the outset. Um, um, so we'll have to wait and see what comes from the, 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 the interrogation, maybe it's too strong of a word, but from the questioning of Pat Hickey and we'll have to wait and see what sort of corroborating evidence the Brazilian authorities prove in terms of emails and so on um, and uh, you know they're currently going through Pat Hickey's phone and his emails and some of the stuff is already finding its way up onto the web um, so at the moment the story is moving so fast and the information is coming out so quickly it's very hard to predict where it's going to go um, uh, in the short term um, but one thing we can say with absolute certainty is that this really does not look good for the OCI at That's all. Okay. It's a fascinating story we'll, I'm sure there's, there's going to be several more twists and turns before that's resolved. Um, but another story you've been writing about this week, um, Mark, involves uh, some interesting corporate structures, uh, special purpose vehicles, and how uh, some very well-known international companies are using these special purpose vehicles in Ireland uh, with vast assets, uh, but they're paying little or no tax. Tell us, tell us about that. SPVs are really the cornerstone of Ireland's debt securitisation regime. Under, I suppose, a lot of lobbying from lawyers and accountants, the government created these structures called special purpose vehicles under you know, Section 110 vehicles, um, which are effectively tax neutral, and they allow these companies to hold assets whilst effectively paying no tax. Um, now, they were originally brought in to try and attack global finance to Dublin, to the IFSC, global securitisation. Ireland would have been competing with the Netherlands, um, and Luxembourg, places like that to bring this stuff. But what's transpired since the crash is that a lot of these funds that have come into Ireland to pick up distressed property assets in Ireland, Irish assets, they've been using SPV structures as well to avoid tax on these. Now, this isn't really what the designers of these structures mm. intended. Now, what we reported on this week um, was, um, um, for example, on Wednesday morning, we reported that Liffey Acquisitions, which is an SPV related to Goldman Sachs, um, which bought a whole load of, of commercial property loans from IBRC in 2014. These would have been secured on, on the likes of the Aberdeen Lodge Hotel in Sandy Mount or a site down at the, the, the Blarney Park Hotel down in, down in Cork. 
It was using an SPV at a 200 million euros worth of assets and it paid zero tax last year. Um, Burlington Loan Management, um, which is an SPV related to Davidson Kempner, a huge US hedge fund, we reported on that on Monday. It is 8 billion euros. $8 billion, actually, it reports in dollars, $8 billion worth of assets, including $1.5 billion worth of Irish assets, and it paid $125 in tax last year. Now, a minimum wage worker in Ireland um, mm. paying, getting nine fifteen an hour, working 40 hours a week, on an annual basis pays €888 Euros in tax. Um, yeah. um, um, Cliff, it's pretty galling when you, when you contextualise it like that. I mean, were the revenue and the government here, were they blindsided by this? Well, the government certainly seems to have been... Um, and I suppose what's uh, what is galling about it is that uh, here are vulture funds coming in. They're buying Irish assets at one price. Um, they're often they're taking a profit out of it either through rental income or through selling them on, selling some of the assets on. So there is a profit being created. They are making money out of their investments in Ireland, but these structures allow them to effectively channel that money mm. out of Ireland to somewhere else without paying any tax. Uh, in Ireland, I suppose we have seen this again and again over the years where certain tax allowances or reliefs are set up with very specific targets in mind. Uh, we saw many of them in the property industry over the years and they morphed then over the years into kind of much wider tax avoidance devices. And uh, this is this is the latest and, and I suppose one of the most extreme examples. And I suppose people were so... People are so annoyed about what happened in the crash, of course, and the need to recapitalise the banks. And the here, the fact are, that they're paying more tax now. The fact they're paying a lot more tax, and here are the people who are, I suppose, coming in, buying the assets that are being sold as part of this process, making money of it, not not paying any tax in Ireland. And I suppose we also need to say we don't know whether they're, you know, they're, they're paying any tax anywhere. Are, are the ultimate shareholders of these mm. companies paying? tax uh, in some offshore jurisdiction or is this money you know going out into tax havens you know it, it's a, these these international chains now uh, are very very opaque uh, and it's very unclear in many cases uh, whether tax is paid at all uh, on a lot of this money yeah. S- similar to a lot you know a lot of the multinational uh, a, controversies mark have a lot of jobs even being created uh, by these entities uh, being based here no no spvs in general have uh, uh, zero Irish employees, Liffey Acquisitions and no Irish employees. I think Burlington Loan Management with its $8 billion of assets had two Irish employees. Um, Tax is one issue and it's the issue that really gets the public's uh, back up in relation to these vehicles. But the, the bigger issue in relation to SPVs that gets the authorities back up is risk and regulation. Um, because SPVs are basically unregulated. Um, the central There's currently tension between the central bank and the Department of Finance over these vehicles because the, the central bank has been re- producing, their economists have been producing reports uh, 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 saying that, look, we don't even know what these SPVs do. These things could be a time bomb underneath the Irish economy. We don't know who owns half of them and we don't know what activities they undertake. We don't know what wider financial risks there are for the system. If you recall back in 2007, a German SPV went bang down in the IFSC and cost the German government a 17 billion uh, euro bailout of one of their banks. Um, and and the Irish government was... That was effect- yeah, that was that was definitely, and the and the, the Irish government um, 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 was uh, uh, you know obviously uh, they looked bad to their German counterparts over that because they weren't able to turn around and say what these SPVs there was even, are doing. There was even talk, Cliff, wasn't there, of, of us bailing out Depfa at, at one point? There was, uh, and it, it would have. Fortunately, we managed to sidestep that. It was uh, we we paid enough money, I suppose, <laughs> bailing out our own banks without having to, yeah. without having to take on. This but is embarrassing it, for the government, isn't it? I mean, what are they, what what can they do about it? Uh, I don't think there's a lot they can do in terms of the historical. Uh, the historical, you know, the the companies that have come in already, because retrospective 
legislation is always very difficult to uh, to bring into force. They, you know, they could uh, certainly look at the uh, they could certainly look at the uh, the way these vehicles are set up and used uh, going forward. Uh, they could amend the rules. And I, su- I suppose some of the vehicles have actually been uh, charities. Haven't they? They've been yeah, as charities. One of the uh, one of the structures that's used, which which makes it particularly tax efficient and and and, and operating uh, very very efficiently, is 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 to effectively vest the ownership uh, of the of the SPV in Ireland in 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 an Irish charity or or in a, in, in a company registered for charity. So that is that is one area that could be looked at, and the charity regulator has said that 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 that. that that would be examined to see is that a proper use of charities. I mean, a lot of Irish charities have got a few bob out of it. Mm. Um, you could argue, I suppose, or you, you do we know which ones actually, or do we know how much, Mark? Um, we, we, the Matheson Foundation, uh, Matheson, the corporate lawyers, they're one of the biggest advisors to these sort of SPCs. Now, they have a charity, an in-house charity called the Matheson Foundation, and there's three actual charity groups in relation to that. Um, it has, uh, it raises about. 300,000 euros a year in sort of fees and so on in relation to acting for SPVs and donations as well um, and Matson holds about 1.4 million euros in cash on behalf of that charity so there is a significant amount of money being raised for charity but of course that money still has to be paid out a lot of it that 1.4 million still has to be paid out to charities but yeah the use of charities in this way Matson aren't alone in this other other law firms do it as well, so perhaps it's unfair to single Matheson out. But um, 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 the use of charities in this way is certainly something that you know when, when taxpayers give charitable status, they give it for a reason. It's a sort of a privilege bestowed on companies um, and on organisations. I don't think mm-hmm. they intended for it to be used as a vehicle in high finance. Sure, and all sorts of uh, organisations use it. I mean, the sporting bodies, the, the FAI, the GAA, etc. I mean, uh, and a lot of their clubs and so forth use the charitable status uh, as as a way to go about their activities. I mean, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, um, but it's just an unusual structure, I suppose, for a high finance uh, SPV. Surprising, I think, for the general public. Yeah. Uh, so where does this go, Mark? I mean, is there, is there any, I mean, uh, presumably there's a, a big coterie of advisors, professional advisors, accountants, lawyers and so forth uh, in Dublin um, or Ireland that have been advising these uh, vehicles and are probably pretty happy with the status quo? Well, we, we've seen correspondence um, released under Freedom of Information between Revenue and the Department of Finance that shows they're examining whether or not any of these structures are being abused. They're examining to see if any abuse has happened. Um, um, that's separate to the use of charities. And they're, they're looking, this is specifically in relation to SPVs being used for Irish assets, which which, which they're never intended for. Um, it's been, it's a, uh, it's a hot topic in the Dáil at the moment. Um, Stephen Donnelly, Noel Rock and other TDs have been looking at this. There's talk about whether or not a private member's bill might be introduced with the aim of tweaking um, SPVs um, and, and some of the, the excesses and the unintended uses of SPVs. Um, so we'd have to wait and see if any private member's bill um, um, is brought forward and if any changes to the bill are brought forward, perhaps maybe in the finance bill uh, uh, after the budget. OK, we'll see how that plays out. We're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we're going to move from uh, special purpose vehicles to driverless cars. And Michael uh, McAleer, our motoring editor, will join the conversation. Stay with us. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. 
Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life September 2014. Now, welcome back. Uh, Cliff Taylor and Mark Paul are still with me in the studio, but we're joined for this segment of the podcast by Michael McAleer, the motoring editor of the Irish Times, and he's here to discuss uh, driverless cars. Michael, uh, it's been in the headlines this week, I suppose, because uh, Ford has said that it wants to build a totally self-driving car by 2021 and wants to take the lead in this global race to produce the world's first high-volume driverless vehicle. Tell us more. Well, the race is on and you'd have to take Ford's aspirations with a pinch of salt because everybody's in this race. BMW have promised to take the lead. Uh, Toyota have already said they're going to take the lead. And then you also have Google and Apple also playing in this particular marketplace. Ultimately, the 2021 date uh, they're talking about, will there will eventually be an autonomous car coming out at that stage. But its range will be limited and what it'll actually do effectively will be limited. What they're talking about is, is a car that's be available for the likes of Uber, etc. So it's not going to mm. be on sale to the uh, to Joe Public, to Mondeo Man, won't be. It isn't the end of the road for him quite just yet. They're talking about introducing fully automated driving car, driverless cars by 2025, 2030. This car will be for use in car sharing schemes when the route is known and when uh, the system is programmed to use a particular route. If you wanted to go somewhere different that was off route or take the car off on a different journey, the car just simply won't, won't operate in those environments. Right, OK. So uh, am I right in saying Tesla has, has said uh, it aims to have driverless technology ready by 2018? And if it succeeds in building its first fully autonomous car by 2020, Uber has uh, declared it'll buy half a million um, yeah. of those vehicles. And it's interesting to see how the car Uber, companies... Uber, of course, isn't in Ireland at the minute, so it's of no benefit here at the moment, but... Well, Uber uh, have operations in Ireland at the moment. They're, uh, they have operations down in Limerick. So the, the, there is an operation. Uber are in in, in, uh, in operation here. But, but you can't hire an Uber car here, can you? You can, yeah. Uber okay. are, are working away here. In fact, a former Secretary General of the Department of Finance is, uh, is, uh, is registered as a lobbyist for Uber. Uh, um, uh, so. Yeah. No, they're working. But anyway, the Uber, actually, the interesting thing with all these car companies or these companies like Uber, Lyft, etc., is the car companies are buying into them because they see themselves as being, having to spread out from being a simple manufacturer of the hardware. They have to get into the software game and they have to get into the, the end consumer because they see the death of the dealership. This, I mean, this... This has tentacles like an octopus. You ultimately, the idea of owning cars will go out out the window with these, that you will simply call up a vehicle and get you from A to B. And the car companies will make their money by renting or leasing those vehicles to you by the hour or by the journey or by the trip. So that's the ultimate goal. But we need to stop getting running away from ourselves a little bit. And that's that's ultimately what you, you're working against with the likes of this Ford announcement as well. You talk to the marketing people, this is what they say. You talk to the engineers who are behind it all, they say very differently. Uh, Rajneer, I remember having dinner with him, and he's the head chief technical officer for Ford. And he was talking about this, and he announced this plan, this uh, this whole rollout yesterday. However, he was making it clear that there's very different levels of autonomy. So the, the basic level is a car will alert you, you're about to hit something. Mm. That's on the market at the moment. There's, then there's level two, which is it recognises obstacles and will take diverse in action. That's using adaptive cruise control. That's there already. We have that in City Safe. If you buy a new car now, you'll you'll find those that technology there. The next level is the tricky one, and that's where the car will most of the time be uh, autonomous and then we'll, uh, that will be in selected effectively areas. Effectively Yeah, effectively in autopilot. On a motorway maybe. The new Volvo S90 which we reported on this week in the review, that car is fitted with it, it's on sale in Ireland, you could buy it at the moment. Mm. It will do it on the motorway in set areas when it knows that it can recognise the lanes and recognise other vehicles. The technology is very simple. It's camera technology mixed with controls over the steering system mm. and the brakes and the accelerator. However, 
it's very intermittent. So the driver has to hold onto the wheel and has to be ready to, in, to engage. The problem that the car companies have with that and the next level, which is that in most instances the car will be autonomous, is that when people get distracted, when you're, working, when you're looking at the radio or whatever and instead of concentrating on the road, that split second when you're, you have to refocus on what the situation is, they find that that, that can be a matter of life and death. The more you autonomize the journey, the more people get distracted, the more they disengage from where they are, the, the circumstance around them and what's happening. So you suddenly find a situation that the car says driver has to take control again. You're midway through working through your, your messages or emails. First second, 10 seconds is working out where am I here? Second is what's happening. And then uh, you have to yeah. start engaging. And I read recently that there has been one death uh, as a result of... There was a death in the US and this is ultimately something that's, you know, driverless cars are going to reduce deaths because human uh, human error is the main cause of, of death on the roads. The problem is that, you know, nothing in this technology is going to guarantee that you aren't going to die. And this is one of the moral dilemmas that's facing autonomous drivers, which is also going to limit it as well, is that in an inevitable crash, when an autonomous vehicle, a driverless car is heading towards a junction and has to decide whether it kills the driver or kills the pedestrians out there. At what stage does it make that call? And this is where there are groups of engineers sitting down at the moment in Carnegie Mellon University, and actually the UN is involved in this, coming up with a moral standard so that if there's a choice between running over a child, because it will recognise the, the size and stature of a child, or an adult, does it go for the adult? Does it sacrifice the driver? The, some engineers are currently sitting down having to work out who do we mm. sacrifice in those situations and working through and these scenarios. legislation to implement all of this. Well, ultimately, this, I think the, the reckoning is that this will be set on a global standard and the governments will be expected. You either take it this way or you don't have driverless cars. Because, yeah. again, the thing to remember is that Ireland is such a small market. We're not going to dictate to the car companies sure. how this works. Mark, there's some interesting players uh, trying to get in on this space, including Elon Musk. Tell us about that. Yeah, Elon, I mean, look, look a, a huge space like this attracts some of the most interesting people in the technology industry. Elon Musk is the founder of Tesla Motors. He's a, he's a 45-year-old South African. He's in the top 100 richest people in the world. He's, he's currently worth $12.5 billion, and that's before he's properly commercialised his driverless cars. Imagine what it'd be worth if this thing really comes off from. He's sort of, um, he's part of the glitterati that you, you you always found each year at the Dublin Web Summit. Um, he famously, when he was over for the Web Summit in 2013, he sat down, he had an interview with Enda Kenny during the day and later that night then he was discovered in that most venerable of establishments, Copperface Jacks uh, in Dublin. Go. Where all the greats go. Now it's unclear as to whether or not the Taoiseach advised him to go there or told him that it was his favourite spot. But, He's, he's, he's one of the really big personalities in the technology industry and he's really driving an awful lot of the conversations no in this intended. space. Yeah, no pun intended. But like this is the, you know, the, the, the sort of stuff that, that, that this guy thinks about and invests in and is trying to get involved in. Like he's trying to, he's looking into the, the possibility of building a, a colony on Mars, for example. He has mm. a company called SpaceX. Um, he, he, he has investments, huge investments in the area of artificial intelligence. And he basically says that his business philosophy, a lot of it revolves around finding ways to prevent the risk of extinction of the human race. You know, so these guys are sort of part yeah. investor, part technology, and sort of part philosopher in a way. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, Cliff, uh, just wondering, how would you feel about a driverless Uber or Halo or some other taxi company, a driverless car uh, emerging at the doors of the Shelburne to pick you up after a night uh, <laughs> socialising with your glitterati friends? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, I think I'd, I think I'd probably feel all right about it. Uh, the car I have at the moment, when I'm 
when I, when I'm when I'm reversing it beeps at me when I'm going forward. You're probably it beeps of the age me. now where you're looking forward to a driverless exactly, vehicle. Exactly, driverless car. Yeah, to bring to bring me home, it'll be quite pleasant, Kieran. I suppose one of the interesting things looking at this this whole space is you reckon that a lot of companies think there's a business model here that is going to work because not only are the car companies spending millions on this, the tech companies, the Googles of this world are are also spending a lot of money on it. So so clearly there's a view around the place um, that there is money to be made here. Uh, but, but I think that still has to be proven. Uh, it looks like certainly, as you say, for the short taxi ride from the Shelburne Hotel to, uh, you know, back back out to the south side or the north side of Dublin or whatever along the main roads that, that there may be something that can work uh, but could you have a driverless car that's going to pick you up you know pick you up at home stop at the shops for a bottle of milk bring you on to the gym bring you to the pub afterwards and drive you home you know is, is there a business model there that, that is actually going to work for companies uh, clearly clearly there's, there's a view that in the industry that there may be but I think we're still a long way away for, you know, for, from seeing the proof that it's going to work yeah. Michael I, I've been to India some years ago but I've been to India and it's mayhem over there on the on the roads particularly in the, the main cities and um, they're constantly swerving around the place and it's bumper to bumper and probably too many cars on the, on the roads I mean how would driverless vehicles work in somewhere like India or perfectly well That's, those are the perfect environments for it that's where you take the driver. The fact is that driver aid in India is pretty ropey. And you take the, the, the element of the human interaction out, completely out of the loop and people are going from A to B and that's it. Your, your form of transport. And uh, I mean, to Cliff's point, I think there is definitely a model there. I think the reason the car companies are investing billions and multiple of billions of it uh, in, into this, industry, into this uh, whole development is the fact that they see that the tech companies are going to eat their lunch. Mm-hmm. The cars are becoming less and less about the hardware and more about the software. And what you've got to remember is there's a perfect um, a storm hitting the car industry because not only is the, is the driver being removed, but the combustion engine that stuck out the front has been around for uh, uh, over a century now and it hasn't changed dramatically. It's still pistons and internal combustion hasn't changed in terms of engineering technology. It's improved slightly. But suddenly you've got a radical alteration there. You've got the chance for fuel cell technology, electric cars, and that's where Tesla's really putting its money because while he's talking and he's built a fantastic car and a range, etc., but he's not talking about dominating. Everyone isn't going to drive a Tesla. There's always going to be competitors. He's going to be a small player in the motor industry. The thing is that he's got the best batteries on the market and the technology behind that. If you consider the other big thing that, that he has is at the company called Solar City. And that's a battery manufacturer. So he's built the biggest battery manufacturing plant in the world. It's currently under construction in, the, in mm. Nevada. When you're out there, you will have his batteries at your home, which will be charged from your solar cells on the roof, which when you drive in, you'll plug in your car. It will recharge it. Your car will be a Tesla. You drive off with that. So he wants, he's looking at the entire range, no more than the car companies are looking at how can we take you, not just sell you one vehicle every four or five years and service it. We'll, we'll own every journey. We'll get money off you every time. It's like Apple. The money is not necessarily in selling you the iPhone. The money is getting you to use iPhone, iTunes on a weekly yeah. thing and a constant stream of cash from you. So do we know how much this is going to cost the consumer down the road, five, ten years away? The, the, the principle is that it won't cost the consumer any more than they're paying at the moment because, simply because the consumer, you know, if you can't, you're not going to price yourself out of the market. And that's why the technology is there. It's a bit ropey. It needs a lot of, a lot of work. But they won't introduce it until it's commercially viable. And the, 
the key company to back and the one to watch will be whichever, be it Apple's or Ford's or whatever, can bring a competitively priced yeah. mainstream model on the road that will offer autonomous controls. Cliff Taylor, it sounds uh, as if the government is going to have to come up with a replacement for VRT down the road, perhaps. <laughs> it's an interesting point, all right, yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, Michael's point is very interesting. You know, are we moving towards an era in which most people won't own a car? Yeah. Uh, and certainly if you talk to people a, co- a colleague who was out in San Francisco recently a lot of people don't own cars there and they just they just plug into a car network uh, plug into one of the, one of the companies that will just say yeah. okay there's a car here car at point A you can take it to point B park it at point B and, and you get out and what about the haulage industry I mean is this going to displace jobs because I see that Daimler uh, the make, maker of Mercedes-Benz uh, plans to have driverless trucks by 2020. So presumably we won't need all the hauliers that we have at the minute. Well, that is part, and, and, and part, this part of a wider theme, I suppose, about you know jobs that are going to be displaced by technology. Uh, drivers, uh, car drivers, taxi drivers themselves haulage drivers, uh, maybe even journalists, Kieran. You know, there's there, there's there's machines and, and robots now writing. Well, I think we're all well writing, on the roads being replaced <laughs> writing, very shortly, Cliff. Writing stories. It's only a matter of time. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Michael, what's your best uh, bet as to when the first driverless cars will be on the Irish roads? I'd say you'd be, well, you could technically head down the M50 now if you wanted to and take your hands off the steering wheel, maybe maybe by 2018, 2019. And you're going you're gonna to see these cars. I mean, once they're on the market, you'll see them on the roads 2025. Okay. All right. We'll see how that plays out. That's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Mark Paul and Michael McAleer. Declan Conlon produces the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business Feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 